Well, comrade, what now? Straightforward conversation. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? my soul, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's like uh, matching with a girl on a dating app and only getting one-word responses. <laughs> oh. That's exactly Jeez. the vibe I was going for. I felt that in my taint. Oh. <laughs> That's exactly That's... what I was aiming for. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert. With us is our other co-host. Yo, what's up, everybody? I am Drew. How you doing? Hey, hey, everyone. So this week, we're doing... An episode on uh, a slightly lesser-known comic. We like to try to, you know, mix things up here. We we cover some big Marvel DC stuff. We cover some manga, and uh, you know, we we cover some of the lesser-known uh, indie works that deserve demand to be noticed because that is what our podcast is for. To bring the light of civilization to you savages out there <laughs> yeah but barbarism is the natural state of mankind right does it make you laugh that i consider our listeners savages and barbarians <laughs> um it's kind of funny because then the implication is that we're supposed to be the ones who are civilized but that seems <laughs> we are inaccurate too yeah we are far from it <laughs> fair enough fair enough we're just we're, we're the cavemen who have discovered the fire trying to show the fire to all the other cavemen who don't have fire yet <laughs> we're just that much more sophisticated slightly <laughs> just just by a hair yeah <laughs> like we discovered fire a day before and now we're talking to everybody else about it like it's the next hot thing and yeah, it's not exactly. like even we discovered it we discovered it from that other caveman down the block exactly joel Joel the caveman (laughs) screw you joel (laughs) anyways you want to tell the good people what comic we're discussing today yeah today we are going to be discussing barrier by brian k vaughn marcos martin and munza vicente this was a five-issue miniseries that was originally released in 2015 on Panel Syndicate, which is the digital publisher founded by BKV, Marcus Martin, and Munza Vicente. And it was originally released online digitally there under their pay-what-you-want pricing model. However, in May of 2018, they published the five issues as single issues with durable cardstock covers via image comics and the trio have since indicated that they don't ever plan to release a physical collected edition so you can either buy this online at panelsyndicate.com or you can track down the five physical issues that image comics published in 2018 so Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if this is necessarily an obscure comic but for people who don't really buy digital comics, maybe it's one that is a little bit more difficult to find because 
it just went to print that one time and there's no collected version so if you missed it back then you kind of have to you know go out of your way to seek out the issues mm. obviously yeah. brian k vaughn is a huge name he's a big name but this is a work of his that i don't really hear as many people talking about as far as you know in comparison to things like saga or paper girls or even his marvel work i think the thing about it or the thing that i i think about in terms of their decision not to release it in any other form except you know the issues that you can find or you know what they have online is it's it's sort of in line with some of the more interesting release models that we've seen coming from comics recently where i guess the standard model that we're all accustomed to is just fire hosing the public with a bunch with as much accessibility as possible and with as many variant covers as possible because and with as much hype as possible because that's what sells comics right but in recent years i feel like we've seen not just in comics but in a bunch of different things um you know source of uh, sources of pop culture just people experimenting with different ways of putting their their art out there so it, it makes me think of something like you know wu-tang clan deciding <laughs> we're just gonna make this one album and we're gonna sell it to the highest bidder and they can do whatever they want with this one album you know and it turns out some rich bastard ended up buying it <laughs> Yes, Martin the douchebag Scarelli. <laughs> Martin Douchegrelli. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, um, that's nims the brakes though, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the other, uh, I forget what 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 uh, publisher it was, but it reminds me of something like um, bad idea. You thinking of bad idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's bad idea where they only would be in certain stores. And they made it a point to only sell to people who like pre-ordered or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And only single issues, no collected editions. Yeah. So if you're not close to a store that ordered them, then you're, you're kind of out of luck. And those comics, you might have to just check eBay or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually personally don't own any Bad Idea comics, even though there are some that I, I really do want because Peter Milligan, I know he wrote some. But I also don't like going to the, those extra steps just to order my comics. I just want to go to the store or go online and order what I want, you know? Like, I don't want to yeah. have to look for a, a comic shop in another city and then start a pull list with them just so I can get yeah. a couple comics. And yeah. I don't want to have to talk to the guy that owns the comic book store in order to build any sort of relationship or any human connection with him. I just want them to understand that this is purely a business transaction and that there's no possibility that we will be friends when this is over. How's you that could always You could always email the store owner. Uh, I could, but there's a chance that they could be swayed by my internet presence, and that is a chance that is far too high 
far, far too high than even I'd like to take. <laughs> <laughs> I'm committed to my lifestyle as a resentful uh, hobbit <laughs> <laughs> uh, who lives on the outskirts of town and <laughs> frightens children. <laughs> I'm basically the old man from Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> so earlier you were a caveman bringing fire to people. Now you're a hobbit and then you became yeah. <laughs> the old man from Home Alone. Got it. I'm just evolving backwards, de-evolving <laughs> as, as the episode progresses. Uh, I have a question for you, Albert, but... Did you happen to read Barrier when it first came out digitally, or did you wait until the print edition? So, truth be told, the same way in which you aren't really incentivized to go through extra steps to get comics, I was probably just as de-incentivized. So, with Barrier, it wasn't a thing where... I got the issues when they were coming out. And then when, since they weren't making a collected edition, it was just like, well, I guess if I missed it, I missed it. But then what ended up happening was Comics Experience here in the city had a sale and sometimes they sell these bundles. And one of the bundles that they had for sale was Barrier issues one through five for $9.95. But the thing was, uh, the sale was, an additional 50% off off the sale price. So according to this uh, flyer that was included in the set that I bought, the original price for the comic was $25, but it was marked down to $10. And with the sale, it was 50% off that. So it was just $5. So I was like, well, I had told you that this was one of the bundles that they had on sale when we were when i was at comics experience because i think for whatever reason you weren't able to make it out that day or you were late Mm -hmm. or something like that and you were pretty adamant that i pick it up so yeah it's you know it's brian k vaughn uh you you it came highly recommended by you so you know i figured sure you know i'm look i'm here to buy something anyways don't know if I'm ever going to get my hands on this comic. So let's go for it. And, you know, in, in true between the gutters fashion, now that we both have it, we might as well do a podcast about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I didn't really know too much about this comic going into it, except that it was Brian K. Vaughn. That was it. That's, that's, that's really all the background information that I had. I guess that's all you really need. Yeah, yeah. Brian K. Vaughn is a trusted and uh, is a recognizable and trusted name, so much so to this point where his name alone is, should be credibility enough. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, the funny thing is that you just said that I had recommended it to you, but I actually didn't read it at the time when I told you to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Drew! <laughs> Okay. I was just so hyped, okay. man. I was just so hyped to see that it was in your hands. And I was like, you got to get that, man. You got to yeah. get it. You got to, got to, got to get it. <laughs> well, 
There we go. That's how the sausage is made. I didn't know that that was ca- the case, but now here we are. <laughs> well, okay, actually, that being said. That, that's, that's a slight exaggeration because I did read the first two issues of it at the time because I had got the first two issues digitally when they came out on Panel Syndicate. But I think because the series, I don't think it was coming out once a month when it after the first issue like it it had a kind of irregular release schedule and it was one of those things where you just have to pay attention to social media or just keep checking the site every so often to see if they uploaded the new issue and i think after the second one i had just lost track of it so i wasn't so it was just kind of out of sight out of mind you know yeah but i i did read the first two issues way back when they first came out but uh, you know, that was like 2015, 2016, and it wasn't until we went to another sale back in late 2021. I remember this because it was the Friends of the San Francisco Public Library. They had a massive 50-cent comic sale, and I was digging through the boxes, and I found all five issues of it for 50 cents a pop. So that was when I remembered it and ended up picking them up, so... At that point, nice. I had it in my collection, and then, yeah, earlier this year, I think, when you got your set, it just made us realize, hey, we should read it and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you know anything about it? Because, like, Panel Syndicate, right? Like, could you explain to to us what that is, uh, you know, for, because I don't, even though we have a comics podcast, I don't really follow too much of like some of the mm-hmm. more like inside baseball elements of comics culture, like, you know, where people are following specific writers and things like that, uh, you know, the online ecosystems that happen to exist. Uh, that's really something that you're, you're more familiar with because you're, well, yeah, you you kind of your your passion for the writers and their works really really goes above and beyond to like really following them on on their own independent social projects um that they promote. So, yeah, do do yeah, please let us know. Yeah, so Panel Syndicate is a digital comics publisher that BKV, Marcos Martin, and Munza Vicente founded. Um, I don't remember what year they started. It might have been close to around 2013 because I think they first launched it because they wanted to find a creative and new way to publish comics outside of the usual ways. And, you know, this being probably around 10 years ago now, I I don't remember if digital comics were as prevalent. Like I'm pretty sure comicsology and stuff was already a thing, but I don't remember if that was a viable venue for creator-owned or independent comics. But I also know that from listening to them talk in interviews on other podcasts, BKV and Marcus Martin definitely had an interest in expanding into the digital space and Mm. trying to find new ways to produce and sell comics 
And I think one of their inspirations was how in the mid 2000s, I want to say it was around like 2006 or seven, Radiohead, the rock band, hmm. they released hmm. their album In Rainbows on their website, but it was pay what you want in order to own the album in a, you know, it was DRM free. So you would just get the MP3s and you could do whatever you want, hmm. put it on any device you wanted to back in 2007 and some people I remember that i bought that album <laughs> yeah me too yeah I, yeah I bought that one too um and you know and, and it was one where you could pick how much you wanted to pay so theoretically you could actually pay zero dollars for that album and you would still get it or you could pay five bucks or ten bucks 15 bucks or however much you wanted and that ended up being a pretty big success for Radiohead. And I still think that's an awesome album. Mm. So taking that principle to comics, uh, these guys ended up creating Panel Syndicate, which is based around the same idea where uh, you could pay what you want to own a DRM-free PDF version of the comic. I think they have other types of files too i usually just get pdfs because that's what i'm comfortable with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they not only publish their own comics but they also publish uh comics from other creators as well i don't know off the top of my head like everything that they offer but i do remember that they've got something by ken nimura the guy who drew i kill giants he has a oh, comic okay. on there Nice. There's uh, something by Alex DeCampi, you know, the one of the co-writers of Maddie, which we discussed a couple episodes ago. She has a comic on Panel Syndicate. And yeah, there's uh, there's also Ed Brubaker comic that Marcus Martin draws called Friday. Mm. Those are the ones that come immediately to mind. So all of those comics um, are they're they're all digital versions and uh, you just pay what you want for the single issues. And for some of those. At some point, they even release a digital collected edition, I think. So I think there's actually a digital collected edition of Barrier. So if someone listening to this can't find the issues, you can just go to Panel Syndicate and you can just buy the collected edition digitally. And I think the same goes for their earlier collaboration, The Private Eye, because mm. I believe that was 10 issues, but there's a collected edition digitally as well as a physical hardcover of that so there's a ton of things that you can check out on the website it's just panelsyndicate.com if i remember correctly and yeah i mean i guess if if i'm being really crass you could always just pay zero dollars for the first issue of something give it a try and see if you like it and then pay a little more money for the other ones uh, you know, to support the artists. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we want you to be able to read good comics. And I guess the short answer or the short way to put it is, in a perfect world, you would have the same amount of passion and love for these comics where you would, from the very depths of your heart and passion, be willing to pay what you think is a fair amount in order to support these writers but you know sometimes you got to just get people to that point 
So mm-hmm. if uh, it takes reading a couple of issues to, to get on board to, for you to see the uh, artistic merit and quality of what they're producing and for you to find value in it where you would patronize them and you know give them what you think is more than fair and even maybe even more than that, then yeah, like this it's this is the first step, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So before we get into talking about the book, we usually like to at least discuss the creative team a little bit first. But having said that, we've covered quite a few Brian K. Vaughn comics already on our podcast. So here's a brief rundown of what we've talked about in previous episodes. Back in episode 12, we talked about Runaways. In episode 32, we did a recommendation. This was Zach's recommendation, our friend Zach, actually. We were talking about post-apocalyptic comics, and he recommended We Stand on Guard. Then in episode 91, we discussed the first half of Saga. And then in episode 135, we talked about Paper Girls. So if you want more of our thoughts on BKV, you can check out those episodes, episodes 12, 32, 91, and 135. But I don't think we've talked about any Marcos Martin comics before, have we? I don't believe so. Let me see what he's done first. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with like... some of the other collaborations that BKV yeah. and Marcos Martin have done with each other. The yeah. ones that I know for sure that they've done uh, are Doctor Strange, The Oath, and then there was The Private Eye, which they published on Panel Syndicate. And then I believe at some point after finishing Barrier, they did a one-shot called The Walking Dead, the Alien, and that one also um, has a print edition that Image Comics published. It's a thicker single issue, basically. But a little bit of information about Marcos Martin. He's a Spanish artist who has been working in American comics since the late 90s. He started with a number of short stories and fill-in work at DC Comics. Personally, I think I first noticed his art when he drew a part of Robin Year One. That was a prestige format miniseries written by, I believe it was Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon. They were the co-writers. And and then Javier Polito was the main artist. But I think there was like one or two issues where where Marcus Martin came in and and like did some fill-in work. But uh, he must have had a decent experience with that because after Robin Year One, the same writers ended up teaming up with him and he ended up drawing the entirety of Batgirl Year One, which was, I believe, a nine-issue miniseries. So it was kind of a longer story. And yeah, that was all his artwork. After DC Comics, I know he did a decent amount of shorter stories at Marvel, and he did some amazing Spider-Man issues. I don't think he ever really had a really long run, but he would do like a few issues here and there. So I'm not, like I've never really read covers those issues. Too, he's, yeah, he's really known for his cover art nowadays, I'd say. Like he he does a, a lot of covers, 
Um, even back then, he was doing a ton, and, and they're just beautiful. He also did some Daredevil issues during the Mark Wade run. Um, that's what I remember from him. Mm. What about you, Albert? you have anything from him that you remember? Um, I'm double-checking right now to see if this was him. But the things that jump out at me are the private eye. I do remember some of Batman year, uh, Batgirl year one. I did read, read that at the time. It's been a while, so it's not super fresh in my memory. Um, yeah, I, I think if I had to be honest, the thing about his work that tends to jump out at me more is really his, um, the covers that he used to do. Because, well, quite simplistically speaking, covers often are a quick way to grab your attention. Mm. So they're really, you know, he, he can do a bunch of different covers that where their entire point is for you to come in out of the street, see them on the shelf and walk over and grab them. And, and they, in that sense, they were quite effective. Um, I do remember reading Dr. Strange's The Oath. I might have even read your copy, but that's something that I never got my own copy of. I always did regret not getting that, but that would be a good one to own in hardcover someday. Mm-hmm. There was a period of time where I think they did re-release those, but I missed out on that. Yeah, um, I think they did a special comic book store day. Like, you know, I, f- I forget the name of it. There's like a special day it's not free comic book day but there's like a local comic shop day or something equivalent to that and they did like a a special hardcover edition of doctor strange the oath for that event that's pretty cool that was pretty cool yeah Yeah. i think yeah i just checked it i think it is called local comic shop day so every year there's a certain day called local comic shop day where all the I, I think it's usually on a Saturday. All the different stores kind of celebrate and sell these specially printed uh, editions of certain comics. It might just be like stuff that has already come out previously, but you know, with a new cover or a special cover that you can only buy at a comic book store as opposed to getting it off some online retailer. Yeah, it's just something that's designed to get people to visit their brick and mortar mom and pop shop right from what i remember local comic shop day was something that they i want to say created um it, it was something that they made to coincide with like black friday and like you know um mm-hmm you know, like how they had Black Friday, they had Cyber Monday, and then uh, what was that other one? Like local, like shop local Tuesday or something like that. Uh, you know, they, they, yeah, it's, it's all for branding, right? So, um, local comic shop day was supposed to coincide with that. And it was supposed to be, you know, the day that you come in and, um, for the holidays. And if you want to do your shopping, this is a good opportunity for you to check out your local comic shop while you're at it. So, um, yeah, but that being said, I do appreciate his work. I think he he draws in this really clean style, really good-looking lines. Um, the coloring on his work is usually, it always pops and is just pretty well 
well colored and bright just just a joy to to look at you know yeah he's um, got a beautiful clean style really exactly. crisp and clear <clears throat> i i don't know if this is quite the same or or yeah like i i think the only comparison that i can make off the top of my head right now is he kind of reminds me of like a darwin cook but more stylized mm. just you know more unique to his his own style you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but yeah I, I i think that is what i would compare him to i i don't i don't even know if like their figures and their characters are exactly you know in the same vein as one another but yeah that's probably the closest comparison that i can make yeah i can see those sensibilities being similar because both of them have really clear storytelling sense their panels are hardly ever cluttered or anything like that it's always really easy to read their work and i think that's something that is absolutely proven in barrier because this is a comic where unless you're uh bilingual there are going to be parts of it that you might not understand and mm. you have to understand how to read the artwork in order to follow the story because the words are in another language so um that's definitely an important skill as a storyteller for any comic book artist just being able to draw a clear and coherent story that knows how to control the reader's eye while still also providing a sense of pacing ambiance and mood as well as uh, just absolute clarity you know something that not only just presents to the reader this is what's happening but also has layers of meaning and, and layers of subtext so that someone who's really studying the art can actually pick up more from it as opposed to just you know glancing over the pictures and then just moving yeah. on because there are no words yeah yeah it's it takes quite a visual storyteller in order to produce an image that really hits you on multiple levels because it's easy well okay i'm not gonna say it's easy but i think there are a lot of artists who can draw things so that they look like what they're trying to draw mm-hmm. and you know in some instances that might be sufficient but you know comics being a medium where visual storytelling is a big element of it because you're not just making pictures you're telling stories right it is being able to capture all these different emotions and to communicate the passage of time and to communicate drama um all to coincide with the written words that the writers are 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 putting forth right so preach it my brother preach it yeah absolutely so in order for the yeah so like the true masters 
uh, of comic book storytelling are the ones who really know how to um, capture the subtlety of it all and present it on the page. And it's really for those who have an astute eye and sensibilities uh, to to really find those things. It's it's part of the fun of reading comics. The, mm-hmm. It's it's the element of fun that people don't always think of. I, I think when we talk about comics, a lot of the times on a very shallow, superficial level, um, a lot of people just think it's really just about pictures and words. That's it, right? Like, mm-hmm. do the pictures look like what the pictures are supposed to look like? And do the words, do they word good? you know (laughs) right like in the most simple uh superficial sense that's all that a lot of people think when they think of comics right do they work good and do the pictures look like what they're supposed to look like (laughs) let me tell you a little uh, sidebar here from a conversation i had with a buddy earlier this week actually do it but he was he was telling me that what he likes about comics, it's not necessarily that the stories have to be good, but the art has to be cool. Like, that's the important thing. And so, like, stories and and writing were pretty secondary to him. And what was more valuable was just having something cool to look at. We could get him a coloring book. <laughs> Heck, I'm feeling generous. I'll even buy him a box of crayons. <laughs> How's that sound, buddy? How's that sound? Would you like that? Would you like a coloring book and a box of crayons? I'll even get you the big box of crayons so that you've got a bunch of different colors that you can color with. How's that sound? Would that make your day? You want to get ice cream? You want to get ice cream, buddy? I want some ice cream. <laughs> So how'd you respond to him? What did you say? I think I said something about how I can understand that. I can comprehend where he's coming from because he, he's got enough self-awareness to recognize that he is not a comic book purist in any way, that he doesn't okay. necessarily love the form of comics the way that we love comics. So for him, it's more about art and story will always be secondary. And and that's kind of why um, I think that's why he is a Todd McFarlane fan. He likes mm. Spawn and stuff like that because it's not necessarily about the story, but just because it looks cool, that's enough of a reason for him to enjoy it, to be entertained by it, to get his money's worth out of it. Mm. I see. Well, I don't know him, and him being your friend, I'll take that. I'll take that as you vouching for him to some degree. So I won't challenge him to a duel or anything. (laughs) (laughs) I won't like go to his house, wait for him to exit, and then remove my gloved hand and slap him with it (laughs) (laughs) and then challenge him to pistols and fencing swords or anything. But 
yeah, I it's it's not a perspective on comics that I generally appreciate. It's not how I tend to appreciate my comics, but I do understand that there is a large base of fans that whether they know it or not tend to respond in a similar way. Yeah, I think the difference is that at least my friend has the sense to understand that he's not really a comic book reader, you know? Mm. Whereas I, I think a lot of other people would really consider themselves genuine comic book fans, but those are the kind of people, you know, those are the mouth breathers that we make a mockery of all the time. The people who like the Todd McFarlane or Rob Liefeld stuff, whatever is just real popular, right? Whatever was popular back when we were kids in the 90s somehow has survived to this day. And and now the people who were our peers back then are adults and maybe they still like comics. Maybe they were away from comics for a while. And when they came back, they just went back to what they knew. Mm. Like I was reading something a while ago and I, I feel like there's no, I don't have any, um, and I don't think that article had any definitive scientific evidence or sales data to back this up, but it's just the idea of how, like, when the pandemic happened and the shelter in place happened and, and the pandemic was at its peak, a lot of people ended up uh, gravitating towards collectible hobbies for some yeah. reason. And, and then, you know, there were things like uh, sports cards and uh magic cards and Yu-Gi-Oh, pokemon things like that became popular mm -hmm. but there was a moment where comics became really popular again too and a lot of the comics that ended up being quote unquote hot comics were the comics from the 90s the the period of time that we kind of grew up with but also don't have too much respect for and it's a lot of that stuff where it might be because those of us who grew up in that era, you know, as adults now have time and income to buy that stuff again. So maybe the people who were our who who are about our age but gave up on comics years ago when the pandemic happened, when they started to get back into comics, maybe they just gravitated towards a lot of the comics of their youth. So that would be stuff like your spawns and uh, you know, other extreme kinds of comics and things like that. Venom and Carnage. It's mm. possible. I mean, I think that's as likely a reason for it. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't understand why people like crap. You know, you're, you're asking me to you know, put myself in <laughs> into the shoes of, you know, of like a swamp rat or something and to try to understand i i can't i'm incapable of it so i thought you were about <laughs> to say you're asking me to put myself in the shoes of millions of fans <laughs> same difference <laughs> <laughs> millions of swamp rats <laughs> yeah exactly they're all they're all just vermin to me <laughs> i just happen to share a world with them <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but yeah, I, I remember seeing that too. And the thing about these sort of collector crazes is 
and, and I'm going to be like, I'm going to use this term loosely, but for every person that supposedly knows what they're talking about when they collect things, there's way more people who just kind of jump into it thinking, yeah, this is going to be my hot ticket. I'm, I'm going to like bag me a rich one, right? I'm just going <laughs> to go buy a bunch of random stuff and one of them is going to hit it big and then I'm just going to retire. <laughs> you know, that's pretty wishful thinking. It's really wishful thinking, but there are a lot of people who don't know what they're doing. And, you know, even the people who supposedly know what they're doing, like they, they're just the blind leading the blind, right? Mm -hmm. So for all the people that don't know, the, for the tons of people that don't really know what they're doing, they're just going out there and just buying whatever and in the hopes that, you know, something is going to be the thing that's going to make them a millionaire. <laughs> you know this is the first appearance of punchline baby <laughs> <laughs> or spider bite or spider bite <laughs> but anyway going back to the whole notion of art being important because it looks cool i do want to talk a little bit about that because i think that while it is cool or while it is good to have art that quote unquote looks cool, like the purpose of comic book artwork is to tell a story, right? So if you can look cool and tell a story, then that's what should be celebrated. Whereas I feel like a lot of stuff that just looks cool isn't always good at telling a story. And that's a problem that it might be, nice art it might be fun to look at and i'm not gonna deny that people can find enjoyment or entertainment or even appreciation for it but if it's not telling the story that it's trying to tell in the most effective and impactful manner then is it good comic book art i would say probably not it's just mm -hmm. a pretty drawing yeah and you know just because I can't let go of it half the time. It's not even a good drawing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get it. I, it. I do not find Todd McFarlane's yes. art too pleasing. So, yes. But that, I recognize well, that as a personal preference. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> fair. Like, I, yeah, I, I get it. It's in the eye of the beholder, blah, blah, blah. But you can do better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely comics buying community you can do better <laughs> yeah because just taking marcus martin's art for example like if you compare one of his pages to a todd mcferland page it's a pretty big difference huge difference huge difference but i would also say that marcus martin's art looks way cooler than a bunch of T-Mac capes and chains and stuff, you know? Yeah. Just aesthetically, that's what catches my eye. Marcos Martin's work, it's a lot cleaner, not only in terms of being uh, more legible to read as, as sequential artwork, but even his splash pages and his covers that you mentioned earlier being stunning. Like This guy just has a great eye for composition and page layout, he knows how to draw really 
incredible, impactful imagery, just stuff that just strikes your eye and um, his designs, like in this comic specifically in Barrier, his aliens are pretty inventive. They're very foreign looking. They're creepy, but they're just fascinating as well. You know, like that's that's some good alien design work right there. And it's not just, I feel like the simpletons idea would have been to just draw like a scary monster, right? With a lot right. of slobber and drool and whatnot. But <laughs> <laughs> I just find that less creative than what Marcus Martin ended up designing on the final page. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm trying to look for the words. And maybe you could say that even though his idea of an alien just on the face of it is just another creature, there's a bunch of different ways of just drawing, you know, like some sort of jellyfish or uh, uh, some sort of cephalopod or something like that. Um, the way that he does it is just... He, he totally puts his own spin on it where you can kind of just marvel at it and really lose yourself in what you're looking at. And mm -hmm. yeah, like I'm looking at this right here and he's, there's this one page here where the, the main girl is looking at these two giant, just two giant spheres, but they open up into this thing that's full of, tendons and sinews and musculature and bones and it's just it's truly it's purposefully ugly but it's it's meant to be ugly in a way that is captivating you know yeah in other words it's a cool drawing yes yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking at the sketchbook section in issue four of the print edition of barrier and you have some sketches of his designs for the aliens. And he bases a lot of them on really weird looking exotic flowers and maybe even fungus. I'm not sure what some of these things are. That's how foreign they are to me. But I think by using those really weird plants as inspirations for his alien designs, he really captured a certain feeling. I mean, there's even a picture of barnacles in there and, and barnacles just gross me out for some reason. I don't, I really don't like looking at all those tiny little holes growing on something. Mm. I think there's a name for that. There's a, it's a, it's, I forget what the term is, but there is some, there's a term for that where people have a fear of like tiny little holes. So <laughs> like, no, I, I'm dead serious. There's a, like if you think about like honeycombs or something like that, and you think about like maybe just on the surface of it, just honeycombs on their own don't really seem all that threatening. But when you think about like honeycombs and you think about all the like little larvae that live inside them, there's something about that that just kind of makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand on end. Yeah. Know? Gives me the willies. Yeah. Shall we talk about barrier? Let's get into it. Let's do it. So I guess we'll give a brief description of the plot, a brief plot synopsis. How's that sound? 
Yeah, let's do it. I don't really have too much because it's it's pretty simple, but um, you have these two characters, uh, a young woman by the name of Liddy in Far Texas and Oscar from San Pedro Sula, Honduras. And they are, you have these two stories that run concurrently with one another. And what ends up happening is the young woman, Liddy, has has some weird phenomena taking place on her farm as she finds dead horses and she immediately assumes that it's cartels on the other side of the border who are making some sort of statement. Um, Meanwhile, Oscar is trying to make his way into the United States. He's fleeing from um, unknown uh, forces and pressures from his home country. And he's trying to escape to the United States. And due to uh, each of their own separate circumstances, one night they are both abducted by aliens and they meet each other aboard this spaceship and are forced to rely on one another in spite of the language barrier that exists between them. And this is the story of their survival. Mm -hmm. How's that sound? Am Mm -hmm. I missing anything? No. No. I mean, I would say that the hook of the story is that it's about these two different individuals from different countries who get abducted by aliens and despite their language barrier they somehow must find a way to communicate and help each other survive so yep. it's a pretty straightforward story on the surface i think the thing that makes it pretty different from a lot of other comics is that oscar's dialogue is all in spanish so unless you yeah. unless you already know spanish you're not going to be able to really understand his dialogue. I mean, I guess yeah. you could use Google Translate or something and just like figure it out. Well, I was going to say like I think there's definitely it's there's definitely an interesting choice on the part of Brian K. Vaughn to make sure that everyone spoke their native tongue mm. and to make it so that we as the reader unless we, you know, spoke spanish i'm assuming it's spanish uh as as our native tongue uh there is an intention to it so that we feel that sense of uh we we feel the language barrier essentially right and Mm -hmm. it's not it's not just that it's limited to her speaking english and him speaking spanish i think throughout the book you have them dealing with these aliens and there's also the barrier of that communication that exists where they are incapable of communicating with these alien forces that have abducted them so there's all kinds of language barriers that are going on Uh, there's you know it's there's again this intentionality to naming this book barrier and making it so much about the 
cultural and linguistic barriers that exist between Mm -hmm. all of the various parties involved in this story yeah yeah it's definitely an impressive and experimental piece of work Mm. the other thing that kind of makes barrier stand out is that it's presented in this sort of landscape format so instead of yeah instead of being uh like a standard comic where you just hold it and you read it like a regular book the print edition of barrier is one of those comics that you read uh horizontally you put it on inside and open it up and then you you read the pages um you know horizontally oriented so it gives it more of a a wide presence and that's how the digital version was too it was designed to be read you know like if you're reading it on your tablet you would turn your tablet on its side as opposed to just holding it like a clipboard or something Mm. so or what do you call it portrait mode versus landscape mode right (laughs) Um, yeah i mean we're accustomed to reading it in portrait mode but yeah i don't think we ever think about it too much yeah so it's basically a landscape mode comic which makes for some pretty interesting panels because there's a lot of uh long horizontal panels on some of those pages it's yeah it it does make it look different from your typical comic for sure i think it stands out yeah can i ask you something drew of course so i guess the most obvious thing that we should ask is did you like it what'd you think of it (laughs) let's let's give our impressions first and foremost yeah i did like it i definitely liked it i think i would say i appreciated it more than i loved it from an emotional standpoint Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i i think that could only that could be because i've only read it one time through i mean I, i mentioned earlier that i read the digital issues one and two like way back when but honestly it had been so long since i first read them that i didn't remember very much other than the fact that there was a lot of spanish in it and that the story took place uh or at least liddy's story took place in texas like that was pretty much all i really remembered so Mm. i feel like reading it for the podcast is kind of like reading it for the first time properly in my mind and i would say that yeah i definitely liked it it's probably not my favorite bkv comic but i have a lot of appreciation for the craftsmanship of it and i think it is something that i would need to reread and think about some more and i think if i did that my love for it my emotional affection for it would definitely increase I think one of the things that Barrier does, and it's probably intentional, it does give you a sense of slight confusion or even frustration, especially because I don't speak Spanish at all. Like I I never even studied it in school. So I have like no understanding whatsoever. And because Mm -hmm. like half the comic is in Spanish, I'm kind of in the dark. Certainly, the art is clear enough that I can get the gist of what's happening, but there's a lot of subtleties and nuances that I'm pretty sure are lost on me because I don't know the language. 
so much of the story later on deals with that type of frustration of not being able to understand somebody through language. I, it kind of feels like that's the point of it, you know? Like there, it's trying to get you to feel the confusion and frustration of not being able to talk to another person because there's a language barrier. Yeah, yeah. So I, I felt like that was really clever, and I, I think it really was. That's why I do like the comic. Yeah. Like similarly with you, I do think that as a, an experimental work, it's probably more interesting on that level than it is something that really hits you on. Well, I'm not gonna say that it doesn't hit you on an emotional level there are certainly emotional beats to it but i think the thing that jumps out at me more are the more experimental aspects of the work i yeah i i think it's another comic that's deceptively simple on the face of it because the story isn't excessively complex or anything and you're really just living in the moment with these characters as they deal with their survival and as they really navigate this language barrier that exists there so like like you said the the entire frustration the sense of frustration and the sense of not being not feeling 100% complete because you're not necessarily getting all of the information and you're just working purely based off either your assumptions or context clues or yeah you're or you're just going to have to make up the mm -hmm. things that you don't know like i think for a lot of people that's a pretty frustrating feeling but if you take that sense if you take those feelings outside of the comic and place them in the real world and overlay that against what it's like talking to someone from a completely different culture, it it pretty, to the best of it about its ability, it captures that sense of just how difficult it is to talk to other people. And, yeah, yeah. You know, this is coming from someone who generally hates talking to people even when i do understand them <laughs> sometimes it's even worse when you understand them yeah yeah <laughs> actually it's usually worse when i do understand them <laughs> yeah it's not even sometimes because <laughs> um, i've definitely experienced times when at like at work for example dealing with people where english is a second language I'll definitely say that I've seen coworkers get pretty frustrated when talking to people where English is their second language. And like, they still speak English. It's just, you know, not perfect English or it's broken English. And there might be some words that they don't know. Or maybe if you talk too fast to them, they're not going to understand too well. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think. It's something I definitely see where it's easy for people to get frustrated at other people because their English isn't the best. But you can't really, like I personally don't really 
you know, get too upset by that because it's pretty hard to learn another language. I I don't really speak another language, so I respect yeah. people who can. And I think it's also because, um, you know, being the son of immigrants, I'm more sensitive to people where English isn't their first language. But yeah, so many times I've seen coworkers trying to handle conversations with people who, um, you know, came from another country and had to learn English as an adult. And I see their frustration because, you know, it's either a language issue or possibly even a cultural issue where they're just not understanding something or not understanding it fast enough. So I feel like a lot of people can understand and relate to that kind of frustration. So in Barrier, just imagine that, but even worse, because this person, because Oscar doesn't speak any English, Liddy doesn't speak any Spanish, so they have absolutely no understanding at all, not even a little bit. They have to figure out other ways to communicate, other ways to um, work with each other once they're in captivity. And I think as a reader, when you're, you know, observing all of this and you're part of the audience, you can kind of see and sense and feel the frustration that's rising in both of them, uh, particularly with Liddy, because she's the one who speaks English. So you can kind of like get that sense of how annoyed or frustrated she's getting but I think it's also communicated through the artwork and the facial expressions and the body language and things like that. So, yeah, BKV and Marcus Martin definitely do a great job of just putting you in those shoes, you know? Like, I think a big part of the book, one of the themes of the book is empathy and just being able to understand other people. Um, to be able to put yourselves in their shoes, you know, not necessarily in the shoes of a million sewer rats, but, (laughs) you know, another person, another human being. And I think because the story uh, forces you to try and understand somebody that you may not literally understand uh, from a linguistic standpoint, it's, it's trying to help you build more empathy for for somebody else the same way that these characters these two main characters are trying to um well i guess they're not necessarily consciously trying to but they end up uh developing greater empathy for each other as they go through this ordeal yeah yeah you definitely see it early on and that type of pressure is magnified due to the fact that they are in what they in their minds is a life and death situation i mean i guess in any under any circumstances being abducted by aliens who don't really view humans as (laughs) uh intelligent sentient intelligent species you know um and and who are willing to just do all kinds of harm to them uh, yeah, that definitely counts as a life and death situation. And when the only other person that you can rely on in, under those circumstances is, isn't someone that 
in your mind and in your view of things isn't able to contribute to helping you at that point they become more of an, a hindrance if anything which just magnifies the frustration even more mm-hmm. um yeah it's it it totally makes sense that they they awaken in this situation and they're not really they don't know what's going on the the first thing that occurs to them isn't necessarily to think this is an alien abduction when they first meet each other like she uh liddy is just ready to to go at oscar because you know there's there's definitely this sense of you're the only other person here right now so you're the only person that i can direct this anger towards this this fear and anger because it must be your fault yeah, exactly. Exactly. Who else am I going to point this at? And it really takes time and effort for them to really rely on each other and eventually be able to develop something that's even close to uh, a communication so that they can resolve this situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we going to be spoiling the comic now or yeah yeah i mean i i I, okay i thought we were already spoiling it once we got to the uh the synopses i was holding back got it just wanted to make sure (laughs) yeah so like one thing i wanted to mention um you just mentioned the first time that liddy and oscar cross paths when the after the aliens capture them she immediately directs her ire towards him. But the strange thing is, is that when he falls into that cavern and sees her, he's still wearing his clothes, but she's all naked. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting choice. I don't really know why they did it, because... Like you said, he's fully clothed and she is just bucket naked. We see everything, you know, mm-hmm. from stem to stern. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we see all of her stern. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing, right? So as as a reader, if you take a step back from what it is you're reading, you understand that everything that the writer and the artist does they do purposefully there is a reason for it there is a choice in that decision and i have to admit this is just one of those things where i was a bit perplexed by it i don't understand why she was naked and he wasn't it was something that i really had to think about and and uh yeah, just really mull over in my brain. Uh, I, I really had to see if there was some sort of thematic reason for it. I mean, outside of that, like, if it's just seeing naked ladies, then I guess that's all the reason I need because I don't really have a problem with that. But, <laughs> but you know, as a reader, I'd like to think that there's more to it. <laughs> I'm not going to complain about seeing boobs or anything. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that scene? It definitely struck me as strange too, because 
the idea of the two of them being in a similar situation, but for some reason she has no clothes on, just kind of makes me wonder uh, why the inconsistency. And I was trying to make sense of it. Like maybe, I think part of it is just, okay, it's one of those tropes where you have a comic that's probably going to have a pretty large male audience. So you're going to give them some fan service or something. So maybe it could be that. But if I were trying to be more charitable about it and really think maybe even maybe I'm, I'm even reaching for reasons right now. But there is a scene in one of the later issues when Oscar and Liddy come across a corpse of another woman. And this woman is in the process of being dissected. The aliens have peeled off the top half of her skin. And it looks like they're not really done doing whatever it is they're doing to her. So I'm, I, I'm wondering, I wonder if uh, Liddy was next on the dissection table. Maybe they were already prepping her for their experiments and they removed her clothes. I really don't know. I mean, that's probably not the case. I I was just grasping at straws at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, uh, if they're really aliens, could they you think they could really tell the difference between a male and a female human? I imagine that our bodies are as foreign to them as their bodies are as foreign to us. Yeah, and same here. The way that same these here. aliens look, they're just, you know, pods or whatever. So, yeah, there's no real way for me to be, like, I can't say for sure that that's what Brian K. Vaughn was going for, but yeah, I, I don't know. The one thought that I had was it it brought me back to a conversation that I had with my high school English teacher, and. Over 20 years, and he's still leaving an impact on you. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Mr. Finley, Randall Finley. Nice. He's, uh, he's a good guy. He's if you if you happen to meet him out there in the wild, you know, give him a hey, howdy, how are you? Pat him on the back. He he did good. He was a solid English teacher. Um, probably one of the best out of high school for me. But the thing that I remember him mentioning was he was talking about the movie alien either alien or aliens i forget which one but he talks about how one of the early scenes in the movie involves ripley who who's uh played by sigourney weaver and it's a scene where she wakes up from like cryostasis or something like that and she is just absolutely naked right and the thing that i remember him saying that I thought was interesting was this could be a scene that you look at as, you know, a fan, a moment of fan service where it, it's, it's portrayed as, yeah, you like that boys, you get to see a naked lady, right? You know, how about, yeah, hot and hoot and holler for that. Right. <laughs> but, but the thing is the way that he presents it is that I, I found interesting was that here we are, aboard this spaceship where this alien is going to hunt all of these people down. Right. And it's truly a terrifying thought. It's truly a terrifying experience. 
And in this moment, what is more vulnerable than seeing someone in a state of undress? Because not only do they not even have weapons to defend themselves, they are in their most intimate, vul most vulnerable state. Um, you know, so it's, he was saying that it's visually a, a moment that's meant to make you feel that sen sense of uneasiness and vulnerability so that you're kind of left with this haunting sense um, of just how uh, how easy it is to get at these people, how easy mm -hmm. it is for these people to come to harm. But I think in a similar sense, you could look at this story between these two people who don't really know each other, who are in this situation where they're forced to rely on each other. And what, what is the only answer to that in that moment than to like allow yourself to be vulnerable to that other person? So when, when Oscar comes in there and he sees her and she is completely naked, naked like it's just a sign of just how there truly is no barrier between them <laughs> and you know it, no i i'm not even joking there's there's the 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 one barrier that exists that that sense of clothing is gone there that sense of modesty is gone mm. so like that's all thrown out the window and now they have nothing but to rely on each other but their words right mm -hmm. that that was the only way that i could even try to make sense of that decision i i'd still have to think about it a little more to see if that's something i could drill down deeper into and justify yeah because it makes sense thematically the way you describe it all it definitely makes sense that being naked really indicates and emphasizes the point that Liddy is in a very vulnerable position. I think, logically, I'm still wondering how come Oscar still had his clothes. Because yeah. yeah. maybe if they were both naked, then it would be a lot more... Yeah. I'd be a lot more certain about, exactly. that, about your analysis. Exactly. That's You're right. That It still comes back to the question of, okay, but why does he have clothes? <laughs> And yeah. I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's also some other stuff that I was thinking about too. There's there's stuff in the comic about Liddy and I think there from what I remember there are scenes where she's got this I don't know how to describe it, but it feels like there's some sort of sexual repression going on there cuz her the thing about her story is she's in the middle of losing her farm, I think. Um, you know, the government or the banks are about to take it away and she's just got all this different stress and she's just trying to maintain it on her own, right? Yeah. And then there's this scene later on after all this stuff has been built up where she goes home and she just like looks at pornography on 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 her laptop and she does this several times throughout the story and that was another decision or choice where I really wasn't sure what Brian K. Vaughn was trying to communicate with that or what he was trying to say about her. I don't know. Do you remember those scenes? I remember 
one scene specifically. I don't. I didn't realize there were multiple ones, but it might have just been one. I I I, I might just be. I, I will say that the drawing one scene, it out because those were the scenes that interested me the most. Because <laughs> it had nudity and sex. <laughs> You like that? <laughs> I'm just a big old horn dog. <laughs> uh, everybody, watch out because I'm gonna rub up against your leg. <laughs> Good thing we are recording this podcast remotely, otherwise I would feel a little bit threatened right now. But yeah, let's talk about that scene, and I want to talk about the context around it too because I think it's a very very well-crafted scene. Mm. So, like you said, Liddy is at a point here. Revealing. Yeah, it's it's very revealing about her. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about the scene. So, like you said, we we're at a point here where Liddy, we we've learned she is in the process of being evicted from her ranch, or she's about to lose it. And she's, you know, early on in the story, she thinks that. She's being threatened by a drug cartel or some kind of traffickers or something because they're killing some of her horses. I think later on, it's clear that the killings are actually the work of the aliens. But uh, anyway, she's she's dealing with these pressures societal adult pressures you know it's where she's gonna live and then on top of that she's still dealing with the trauma of her husband having died and we learn later on that he actually committed suicide when they were gonna get evicted so she clearly you know misses him and it was just a a shock to her then towards the end of issue one we have this sequence of pages she well it's a sequence of pages that kind of parallel the different lives of liddy and oscar as they go about their business and how you know what they're trying to do it's it's kind of a structural thing um that they do on the page here where you have several pages that are three panels and on the left panel you have an image of liddy doing something and then in the middle panel it's usually just a picture of the sky and then on the right panel it's an image of oscar and his journey as he's trying to escape honduras but i guess the interesting thing is is that as you progress through each page, that middle panel, the big panel of the sky, gradually shrinks and gets thinner and thinner. And then the panels that show Liddy and Oscar get bigger and bigger. So you start off with one page where you have Liddy looking up into the night sky, and then uh, you see a big panel of the night sky, and then you have a panel of Oscar sleeping. Looks like he's he might be like on top of a train or something but he's just sleeping under the stars basically and then the next panel you have liddy on a horse riding around on her ranch and then a picture of the blue sky 
and then a picture of Oscar jumping off from a train once the security guard spots him. And it kind of goes on like that, where you get a progression of time passing as they go about their usual business, and Oscar uh, and Liddy keep on moving. But then, yeah, you eventually, as we get closer to the end of that sequence, there's a, a page where we have that panel where Liddy is at home. She's just sitting in the dark, drinking some Jack Daniels and watching porn. And then there's a picture of a moonlit sky uh, in the middle panel. And then on the right panel, you have Oscar uh, basically using a revolver to force a guy to row him across the sea. And it's just like these two totally contrasting situations because they're two different people with two different lives. But then uh, by the end of that sequence, both of their both of the panels, the left and right panel, are super big, and then the middle panel just becomes like a thin black line as their stories, as their lives intertwine and clash together. So I, I just thought that was like a really clever way to illustrate it, and it was almost a not completely wordless, but very minimal words throughout that whole. Uh, I think it's seven pages. Really masterful storytelling. But yeah, to go back to what you were saying about the scene with Liddy looking at porn, I feel like that was meant to indicate that she's just been really lonely because at the end of the sequence, you have her saying the name of her deceased husband, Wyatt. And like that's the last panel or the last page of that sequence where you see uh, the three panels. But on this page, they're just it's just a close up of her face and then the thin black line and then a close up of Oscar as he's like running from from the people watching the border. But I think the implication of of what we're seeing in Liddy's uh, panel of the page is that she's just thinking about her husband, right? And Maybe she's thinking about him in a sexual way. I don't know if that's the intent there. I feel like it's possible. I can't say for sure. She could just be having a bad dream or something. But it certainly feels like she misses her husband and that she's just kind of down in the dumps or she's in a rut, you know? And it it's like a, a bad feeling. Even that one panel of her looking at the porn on her laptop it doesn't look like she's having fun or enjoying it or anything. She just looks depressed. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you're right. You're right. I I hadn't considered that. I think, you know, just for a little bit of uh, transparency um, prior to this episode or prior to jumping on this episode, we did have a conversation where I thought that the character that had died was her dad. So now that I realize that it's her husband, it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah, it's it 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 fills in a lot of gaps in my understanding of what's happening. <laughs> uh, It'd be quite the twist if that were her dad. 
Yeah. But a lot of this comic really does rely on just the amount of wordless sto- storytelling. There really isn't a lot of words going on. So um, one of the the issues that I was just looking at, I was just skimming through, really highlights this, though, is issue three, I believe. And what happens in issue three is this is them... This is uh, Oscar and Liddy kind of working together to survive. At this point, she's been kidnapped by the aliens, uh, separated from him and Oscar. Uh, the, no, no, my, my mistake. They've both been taken in by the aliens, um, you know, after their initial meeting with one another. And then you watch this entire sequence of them where Oscar's all unconscious, unconscious and she just digs through his bag and she grabs like this soda and gulps it down and you're watching this exchange between the two as they try to wordlessly uh, interact with one another and you're kind of understanding just what the thought process is as Liddy goes through his bag gets and starts taking things things that she can use things she might be able to use in order to survive and then while all that's happening Oscar pulls out this book and there's a, there are kids drawings in the uh, a, a comic book and uh, what what happens is Lydia is asking she, she basically wants she finds a lighter she wants to start a fire because she thinks if I start a fire it'll probably find a way it'll help us get out of here right we can burn our way out of here so he wants to burn uh, she wants to grab anything that she can get a hold of that'll burn and there's this one book that she wants to take and he refuses to let her burn it because there's obviously some sort of sentimental value there. And he shows her this picture of this uh, comic book that a a child obviously drew. And, you know, if you Mm -hmm. look at that page where he shows her the book, there's in the small right-hand corner, you see her expression. She looks down at it and then she's just kind of perplexed. And then he lifts up his, his i want to say his his, his uh, waist yeah yeah he he lifts up his uh tank top and there's a picture of a child there and then tattoo you uh, yeah a tattoo of a child and her response is the way that she responds is she gets it but then um third panel down it's just her kind of exasperated going and and throwing her hands out and saying as if to say but look at this situation we're in, you know, like, mm-hmm. I get it that this is important to you, but, you know, aliens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as a result, he ends up tearing out the pages that matter to him and he gives her the rest of the book. But I think just that the way that they just sequentially show that communication as it unfolds, that's that's pretty impressive storytelling right there, you know? Yeah, definitely. Issue three um, doesn't have any word balloons because the other issues, the characters will still speak in their native tongue. But but in this one, it's kind of like when Marvel did that Nuff Said experiment back in the early 2000s where they would yeah. force their writers to, to do issues where they couldn't use any dialogue or words or text. And it was just the artwork, right? 
I mean, okay, yeah. I guess there are two uh, word balloons here in the in the issue, but it turns out that they're not able to hear each other anyway. So that's why they have to communicate using physical gestures. Because um, I, I think they just like experienced some trauma or something that busted their eardrums or or whatnot. Because there's blood coming out of their ears. They they try to talk, but they can't really talk. So they've got to rely on their physical communication. But it's an issue that really stands out because I remember reading this one and it just it was one of those comics that I read faster than I thought it would take me to to, to read it, you know, because like even with the other issues, even though like half the issues were in Spanish, there was just enough English to kind of slow me down. But this one was like, oh, there's no real dialogue at all. And I was able to process everything in the story purely through the artwork. Hmm. Like it's it's definitely something that makes me feel like it's not very it's not commercial, you know? Like this entire project, not just this issue, but barrier in general, it's not really a commercial project. And I think that's why you and me can appreciate you and I can appreciate the experimental nature of it, because they're not really concerned about trying to appeal to a super broad audience it's this story told in landscape format where part of it is in a foreign language and then like one major chapter smack dab in the middle of the story has no dialogue no words whatsoever (laughs) it's it's weird it's a pretty high concept and if you tried to sell it to someone just off the street i'm pretty sure that it would not automatically appeal to a lot of people. Yeah. If, I feel like yeah. maybe a random person off the street might be, it might be more appealing to a random person off the street than it would be to a typical comic book buyer. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you're right. I, I, I do agree with that. If, if just in terms of sheer likelihood, if it was a random person off the street, there's, the chance that they might have more intellectual curiosity that they would be willing to entertain that and buy into the experience but if we took that survey inside a comic book store it'd be a lot of people who would probably go wait a minute no one's wearing a costume The other thing that I was thinking was it's interesting because the first two, this is a five issue series, right? And then Mm -hmm. the first two are kind of the setups. And by the time we get to the third one, it's interesting to think that it's almost completely wordless by the time you get to the third one, right? As if we have, this is the apex of the story. So is that the right term? Apex or the? Yeah, you're talking about the peak. Yeah, the peak of the story. So this is where we truly throw ourselves into the experimentation and into the uh, expression expressionism of it, where we we remove all the words entirely and just put it all out for on display for you to see and watch. As it's almost like these two characters are in a petri dish, and we're just watching a silent documentary as they Mm -hmm. work with one another we're observing how they communicate with one another and how um they would 
yeah, naturally how they would eventually uh, um, fill that gap that exists between them. Yeah, and the strange thing is, I don't know if this was what they were aiming to accomplish or if this was their intention, but the strange thing about issue three is that it feels like the issue that's the easiest to understand because there are no words. I mean, that's a testament to what they're trying to achieve, right? Like, if you strip it all away, it, it almost, it, exactly, it almost feels like in this case, the words were the barrier. And once you've taken that away and you've just stripped it down to its most bare essentials, you're just watching these people um they're striving for understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's then, almost like removing the language barrier. It, well, that's that's the weird thing about it, because when we think of a language barrier, typically we think of somebody speaking a different language than what we speak. But in this case, the language barrier was just the fact that they spoke languages. And once we removed languages from the equation, their understanding of each other began to improve yeah, because they weren't yeah. really listening for each other's words. They were trying to understand what the other person was trying to convey. And I guess, yeah, maybe there is a lesson in that. Just the idea of what it, what it actually looks like to strive for genuine understanding. Maybe sometimes words do get in the way and people can get so hung up on the things that are coming out of our mouths that they're not really paying attention to the nuances of, as corny as it sounds, the nuances of our hearts or what we actually want deep down inside. It, like hippies. all this stuff. <laughs> you damn hippies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, it's like all the understanding that people thrill through. It's a lot of it is based on words and and language. And I'll even say, um, even when dealing with other native English speakers, people who who write poorly, I think it can be a challenge to understand them and. A poorly placed comma or weird punctuation can totally change the intent and meaning of a sentence. So, mm. you know, when you throw in the additional complication of a whole nother language, then you're just asking f to be misunderstood, um, even with uh, Google Translate or, or things like that. Um, machine translations can't necessarily pick up the nuances or idioms or intentions behind certain phrases, I think. So mm. in this third issue that goes all silent, we don't even have to worry ourselves with any of that. It's purely two people trying their best to understand each other. They recognize that they're in a pretty desperate an outlandish situation being mm. captured by aliens, but their lives are still at stake and only other person who could possibly help them is each other. So they've really got no choice 
except to force themselves to somehow work together. And the only way they can do that is if they're able to communicate in some rudimentary form. Yeah. Whether or not yeah. that involves language is kind of secondary. And in fact, the language, they already know that they can't speak the same language. So they fill the shutting, gaps using other things like exactly. facial expressions, body language, mm-hmm. you know. You can even use tone and sound. I mean, that certainly isn't necessarily captured in the book, but those are the tools that are available to you under circumstances where you don't have a same, the same basis of language uh, between the two of you, right? So mm-hmm. what ends up happening is you use, like you said, the most rudimentary tools that are available to you. And in this case, it shows that for these two, it works you know well and it might sound simple but maybe that's the lesson here is if we like you said just remove all the trappings of language and just try to understand people on a more on the most basic level possible Mm, we might go further in um in having uh relationships with people yeah. functioning relationships with people than if we relied purely on just what we said to one another exactly well said mm. i have another question i just thought of i was wondering what do you think about about this do you think that barrier could have been a story that would that could be told in another medium like could it have been a movie or a show or a novel like would it work in another medium or is comics the ideal way to tell this story that's tough because the version of the story we got is comics and it's so it's obviously so effective in what it does that Mm -hmm. you know if you asked me after the fact can i see this in any other medium it's it's hard to say because i only know it in this medium and um i think instinctively i would say that i don't see any reason it wouldn't work as a book as a prose novel i don't see any reason it wouldn't work as a movie um well here's a question if it were a prose novel would it be written in two different languages I think that makes sense i think especially if you're trying to uh well okay i don't think the nar- narrative part would be written in two languages i think the dialogue the dialogue yeah the the dialogue parts would probably be written in two languages unless you know brian k vaughn wrote the novel and he really wanted to push the experimentalism to like the nth degree yeah you know really make it really drive the point home of what it feels like to have a language barrier he could you know make every other sentence a different language (laughs) you know (laughs) no that would just be an almost unbearable reading experience though (laughs) now i just imagined an entire chapter that was written in a made-up alphabet like wing things (laughs) or something I don't know. Like, I think it's something that could work as a movie. I, like, 
so much of this comic is visual, right? You just talked about issue three where there weren't even any really words there. But I think the beauty of it is that it was captured in sequential storytelling in comics. But I think, I don't think that you, I don't think that means that it's something that is exclusively just for comics because I could easily imagine those same scenes playing out on screen. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you're you're definitely more the comics purist or elitist out of the two of us. <laughs> so so I almost feel like it's sacrilege saying that, but I'm I'm curious to hear what your take is. Well, as far as a novel goes, I I can't really see this being a novel, not a good one at least. Maybe it could be very experimental, but I probably wouldn't want to read it. <laughs> but a movie that could be interesting. I mean, I I guess it yeah, I'd probably guess that if they if this were to be a movie, then the only way to do it would be to not include any kinds of subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we're those kinds of consumers of entertainment or art, but I have no problem with that if that's so when we were reading this comic for the podcast, you did ask me if I had gone the extra mile to try to translate and discern what the parts in Spanish were. And I told you that I think part of the experience is the not knowing what language the other person is speaking. And that being the case, because it's the intended experience, I I think I wanted to experience the comic the way it was meant to be experienced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't look up, I didn't try to translate any of those things. And um, yeah, like if, if there was a movie version of this, I, I could, okay, I would definitely see them including the subtitles, but I would also imagine myself willing i would imagine that i'd be willing to turn off the subtitles in order to just view it purely as it is if you were watching it at a theater though you wouldn't be able to turn it on or off i wouldn't have a choice in that and i think in all likelihood they would just have it on so um because you think the movie watching uh public would be annoyed at a movie that didn't have subtitles i think it'd be a step too far quite honestly okay um, okay because brian k vaughn could write a script turn it into a movie and then he'd say okay but you can't have subtitles people can't understand each other while while or people can't understand the point of it is that you're not supposed to understand what all of the characters are saying and i don't know if studio heads would be willing to take that kind of a gamble I, in fact, I don't have that kind of trust in studio people 
at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beginning to sense a theme here. You don't have too much respect for any people other than Mr. Finlay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to say stay consistent with the theme, I'd say that if anything the more people talk, the less I want to have to do with them. So <laughs> if you <laughs> remove the language barrier, if you move la remove language, I'd probably be able to put up with them more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's pretty funny. Were there any other moments or scenes from the other issues that you wanted to highlight or discuss? I think the main chunk of this that's worth mentioning is Oscar's story. Uh, we've talked about Lydia a little bit, but we haven't really discussed what we ultimately discover about Oscar, which is we, I believe we find that out in like issue five or four. Yeah, that's remember. issue five. Issue five is the one where they wrangle up an alien, and somehow this alien uh, connects all three of them together. And because of that, Oscar and Liddy are able to see each other's tragic backstory and come to an yeah. understanding of who the other person is. And it sort of opens their eyes. And, you know, up to that point, they'd been comfortable and okay trusting each other enough to the point where they can work together against these aliens. But I think after that experience, they had a newfound, deep-rooted empathy for one another. Yeah, yeah. We we learned about Liddy, and we, we, we know that her backstory involves her husband killing himself because of... Um, financial problems that they have at the farm and just his inability to handle it mm -hmm. um but up to this point we've only seen bits and pieces of oscar's backstory we know that he's trying to escape his country he's trying to come into america we know that he has a son and ultimately what we learn is uh from this mind meld of all three of them is that and this is what liddy learns as well is that Oscar had a son, he had a wife, he was being pressured by gangs in the country, the, the local gangs from whatever country, he was from Honduras, I believe. And what ends up happening is he rejects them, he doesn't want to work for them, but they don't take his rejection well. And as a result, they end up killing his family. And in you know a fit of rage he ends up killing them back but now he has this mark on him um where the the remaining gang uh cartel people are going to try to wipe him out um just on principle so mm -hmm. you know understandably he has no choice but to flee this country and he literally has to flee with nothing um he he can't even bring his family with him anymore he's he's just trying to stay alive and and that's his story it's yeah when i said yeah. earlier that this is a story that isn't without um 
I mean, that that this is definitely a story with emotion, um, and it's not just about the experimental aspects of sequential storytelling. This is what I was talking about. Stuff like this, you know, these these are realized characters with clearly they each have their own issues. They they have their own backstory. They have their own problems that they're living with, and yeah, it, it's just just such a testament to Brian K. Vaughn's ability to slowly play out this backstory up until you get to that final issue and it gives you that it, it gives you his backstory and origin for the maximum amount of impact mm -hmm. um, I mean I don't know what I was expecting were you expecting that to be you know what his backstory was or what was <laughs> what, I was what not have been happening yeah I was not yeah that was pretty shocking like I knew he had something he was running from I didn't realize it was that extreme there's also something mm -hmm. incredible about the the way that they ended up choosing how to um depict issue five and the these flashback scenes because when that alien connects them all of a sudden we can no longer understand liddy like all of her word balloons all the dialogue in her scenes they're just like white noise basically and then for some reason the alien is the one that speaks spanish and then when we get to oscar's backstory when he finds his family and sees those uh gangsters all of their dialogue is in english so we can like fully understand his words now mm -hmm. i thought that was a pretty interesting but powerful choice it's one of those things where at least from the perspective of being an american reader who only knows american english <laughs> being able to finally read this character's dialogue in my own language it it's pretty powerful stuff man like mm. all of a sudden you it's like you get familiar with the character throughout the first four issues and you have a you develop a little bit of um you know you care for him but there's still i guess you could say there's still a little bit of distance because of the language barrier but then once you read this scene in issue five where he finds his family that barrier is gone and now you're just completely in his world you're not only reading his facial expressions and his body language and experiencing his pain uh head-on you're actually fully able to understand his words and there's something pretty striking about that after going so long uh just listening to him in his own native language without being able to properly understand him you still have that connection to him but like for some reason just finally seeing his words in english is the thing that kind of like pushes it over the edge and just makes it more impactful really makes you feel the maximum amount of shock and um emotions mm. Mm. 
yeah do want i think to... that's one of the highlights for me just that that whole sequence in in issue five where they learn each other's backstories it's pretty intense it's memorable. a great conclusion to their journey yeah. i mean it's not the, the end then but you know for a story where i wasn't expecting I, I don't think i was expecting there to be some sort of i guess you could call it a twist or anything like that i, I guess it's fair to call it a twist right i think so yeah like i i wasn't expecting this to be that kind of a story i was really i would have been perfectly fine just watching their journey together as they try to resolve this issue right Mm -hmm. but i guess it's just something that really drives home the point that everybody has their own story and it isn't until we get to the end that it takes this moment of understanding in order to develop a sense of empathy for your fellow human beings, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. we're all going through something. We all have something that uh, we have to live with. Um, So, you know, maybe don't be Mm -hmm. a jerk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And even the little aftermath of that sequence, when we see them wake up, after being disconnected from the alien, both of them are on some kind of big table and they're both strapped down their wrists and their ankles are strapping them down to a table. They have a moment where they can uh, talk to each other again. And even though Oscar's still speaking Spanish and Liddy's still speaking English, we see that this kind of, this scene is kind of like from her perspective because she has just, seen what happened to oscar's family and she's just in tears crying in pain for what happened to him Hmm. and and like that's a pretty powerful expression of understanding here um yeah and i feel like that note to kind of like close off both of their character arcs is really powerful and of course, then there's the the ending. Like the ending is the real twist. <laughs> yeah. Well, before that, I just wanted to mention, like, I do think, I think in another universe, they it could have very much ended with them going through this mind melt, and then all of a sudden they can speak the same language and communicate with one another. Yeah. But yeah, I think that would have been the the sort of happy. It would have been too happy of an ending because there's always got to be this thread of reality that exists. And the the thread is that, you know, no matter what communications is always going to be hard. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just the way it is, is um, we, we have to learn to live with it. And if we're going to coexist with one another, it's, it's going to be, it's going to require that we learn to, to do this mm, you know mm-hmm. it's it's not easy it's meant to be hard work mm-hmm. um i did want to mention like since we we're talking about the ending it's kind of funny that once the aliens drop them off the first thing that they see when they look up is a kfc <laughs> sign and it just brings tears to her eyes to liddy's eyes <laughs> i feel like it's pretty tongue-in-cheek but i feel like that says something it's 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 a little telling about you know what we see right this is yeah this is the first thing um that that 
that brings her joy. It's it's so it's such crash crass commercialism, but it's like, <laughs> hey, sometimes if you're just happy to be home, you're happy to be home. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to talk about how so the the real ending is they get home, they're at KFC, and they're just relieved to be home. And there's this young girl that comes out and uh, Liddy starts talking to her and this girl starts talking back, but she's not speaking English. I think it looks like Arabic, some sort of Arabic. Yeah. So the lettering is Arabic lettering. So yeah. I, I don't necessarily know where they are. The presumably looks like they're somewhere in a Middle Eastern country, but yeah. that's the twist. They're somewhere that's totally foreign to both of them. So yeah. Now they're surrounded by all these guys with guns speaking a different language than Spanish and English. And that's just kind of how it ends. Yeah. 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 So it's it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of grim because they're surrounded by, like you said, all these guys with guns. And But it's also a pretty apt ending, too, because... The very last panel of the page, the the very last page is, so they're surrounded by these guys with guns. They're shouting commands at them. And then the very last page is just a starlit, a star-filled sky as Oscar goes, okay. It's, it's pretty tongue-in-cheek, but like I said, it's it's pretty apt because they get dropped back home. The aliens are gone. And now they're in just as much danger. And maybe the hope is for us as the reader that what they've learned about communication throughout this entire ordeal is something that'll help them get out of this. But who knows, right? That would be a very optimistic reading of the ending. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, who knows? It's 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 open ended for a reason, right? Yeah, yeah. So th- this ending, we never really see whether or not either of them make it home or make it back to America. But let me ask you, man, do you like this ending? This sort of ambiguous, open ended type of ending? I do. Um, I've been watching a lot of Twilight Zone lately, and that's the kind of ending that fits a Twilight Zone episode. Hmm. You know, it 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 ends on a, a bit of a twist, but the twist is meant to be is meant to drive home a point. So yeah, I'm all about it. So you don't find it unsatisfying that they don't have a happy ending or a definitively happy ending? No. And quite frankly, if uh, if you're the kind of person that that needs to have that sort of definitive ending, you should probably work on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to say something like that. That's why I asked you that question, dude, so I could set you up. You set them up, I knock them down. <laughs> back to back. <laughs> back to back. <laughs> Uh, all right you got any other thoughts 
I guess I would I was gonna say that the ending just really reinforces everything that the story was about, but it applies this dark or kind of grim unexpected twist to it all that yeah it's it's a story that i don't think really needs a sequel like i don't really need to know what happens next absolutely not absolutely not yeah it's a satisfying ending because it makes me think you know yeah because that sort of uh optimistic scenario you posited a couple minutes ago like there's something amusing about that i don't think i really believe that there's a happy ending Mm. just based on the facial expressions the posture and the weapons that these guys have when they surround oscar and liddy but there's yeah there's just something ironic about it that works for me it's an ending that highlights how all of the empathy that they have that our two main leads have built with each other um that's all well and good but now that they're surrounded by a dozen other guys with guns who don't speak either of their languages <laughs> there is it's not really gonna to help that. them yeah, there is something to that because it's almost like you just went to space and had to deal with all these aliens and you thought that your life was really truly in danger there. But it isn't until you're back home dealing with other humans yeah, that exactly. you have the real problem. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say, but I, I couldn't figure out my way to get there. But that's that's exactly why I enjoy this ending. Yeah, yeah. And it is a very Twilight zone sort of ending because <laughs> it's it's poignant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other themes or ideas in the story that stood out to you? Mm, not so much. I don't think I really have anything else. Do you? Let me ask you this. Do you think that this comic has something to say about illegal immigration? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's... I don't think it's... I guess what it has to say about illegal immigration is on the same wavelength as what it has to say about empathy, which is maybe we should try to understand other people's situations that you know people are all just human beings trying to exist we're all just trying to make it in this world and there's something in that that we should recognize and maybe have a little compassion for Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah but I, i i don't think it's exclusively i could see how someone would look at it and if they really just wanted to focus on that that could be their entire, you know, reductive, reduced uh, takeaway from from this book. But uh, I, yeah, I think it's it it's about that, but it's also about so much more. Yeah, I was 
curious what you thought about that because I was looking at the afterword that was published at the end of issue one in the print version. Mm-hmm. Brian K. Vaughn writes a little uh, a little bit to the reader and he opens up by saying, we hope you enjoyed our first installment of this five-part tale of violence, language, and illegal immigration. And then towards the end of his afterward, he writes, when Marcos and I started working on Barrier way back in early 2015, Donald Trump hadn't even announced his candidacy. And as I now type this new afterward, President Trump is tweeting about a caravan of refugees fleeing Honduras, many of whom traveled a route identical to the one Oscar braved in this issue. Hmm. Whatever side of the ongoing debate about immigration you fall on, I think it's more important than ever that all of us, no matter where in the world we might live, try our best to understand each other, just as Oscar and Liddy will struggle to do next issue as both of their earthly woes suddenly become extraterrestrial. Hmm. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I remember when all that stuff was happening, it was, you know, there was a lot of shouting from certain interest groups and certain parties that weren't very interested in hearing that out right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. their 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 interest was purely from a place of how does this affect me and i get that to some degree right like this is after all our home and um you can't expect to have something like that happen without some sort of effect overall right but i think the thing that they miss is if we all work together and this is you know kind of corny maybe but if we all work together we're probably likely to go further in dealing with the problem than just outright saying that the solution is just to you know completely shut them out or shoot them at the border or whatever right it's build a wall build a wall make them uh, build a wall arrest them all and send them all back like these aren't they they might be satisfying emotionally but they're just they're inhumane you know like they're like the the fact that you want to just reduce these human beings to to just a a caricature of a thing that you can easily be mad at it's i don't know it just doesn't feel like that's the way that anyone should want to live but so many people find it so easy to to turn to that yeah and part of me does wonder if it is because of a lack of awareness or a lack of uh, interest in learning other people's stories. Because I I remember, especially like during the height of those Trump years when the refugee crisis was really happening, um, I definitely heard people, I'm I'm talking about like people I worked with, people I knew, 
you know, they would, they would, like, all the issue really came down to was they're illegals. They definitely don't belong here. And, you know, if you try to talk to them and, you know, you could say something like, well, they're trying to escape an oppressive regime or, you know, their lives are in danger and that's why they left their country. Like, they're not specifically trying to invade america to steal our jobs yeah. or anything they're just they trying to come all the way over here just to like break into your house yeah exactly you specifically exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know and i remember having that conversation with someone where i was trying to explain that and the, all the guy could really say was like well if they don't like it where they live they should fix it i mean that's <laughs> you have no words <laughs> yeah it's like, I'll tell you what, you go over there and you fix it. You show me how it's done. If you're really <laughs> so good at fixing it, you go over there and you fix it. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> it's like, there's, there's this, there's no sense of understanding or willingness to understand that this is a problem that's too big for them. It's too big for us. And sometimes there are good, decent people who just want refuge, right? Mm -hmm. they, they're just mm -hmm. trying to find some way to have some sort of stability so that they can get their lives together. And they just want what we all want. And I can almost guarantee that if things were bad in this country, um, there would be a, a ton of people who would, who would not hesitate to go where they could find safety that's just human nature mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know and their unwillingness to see that or to understand that from behind the safety of their own country like one they don't recognize like how safe their country actually is and two they're like not willing to project that same sense of safety to like other human beings yeah there's like a lot going on there that, <laughs> that's just messed up <laughs> people seriously all right you got anything else nope i think that's all the thoughts i really had on barrier are there any comics that you would recommend to people that that for for people who would enjoy this? I tried thinking about this one and it was kind of tough. I mean, the, I'll start off with the obvious ones, the ones that are given, just because usually we like to recommend the other works by the same creative team. So we mentioned them earlier, but other collaborations between BKV and Marcos Martin are Doctor Strange, The Oath, mm -hmm. The Private Eye, and the one-shot, uh, The Walking Dead, The Alien. So those are all definitely worth your time. Uh, it's interesting, actually, because I found a copy of that Alien one-shot uh, in a discount bin. Uh a little bit over a year ago, I guess. But I read it after I finished reading Barrier just in preparation for this episode to kind of give myself 
more ammo, more context. And that Walking Dead one shot they did was pretty interesting too, because it's it's about uh wait did you read it Albert? I haven't. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but I will say that is it, it about zombies? Yeah, it, it's still about zombies. Okay. It's, it's The Walking Dead. <laughs> but it, it, it takes place in Barcelona, I think. And it's about a guy who's on the run. I guess this is still pretty early on during the zombie outbreak. So he's kind of like on the run looking for a way out of the city. And he gets helped by this young woman who I guess has access to some not real, I I wouldn't say that they're like heavy weapons or anything, but for some reason she has access to like some medieval weapons. So she's got like a knight's helmet and uh, some kind of halberd. And it's about them trying to cross the city in order to get onto a boat so they can start, escaping the country that sounds cool yeah yeah it's pretty simple straightforward concept i think it's interesting in comparison to something like barrier because it is about two people who don't know each other Uh, fortunately in this case both of them managed to share a common language although i did notice that at the beginning um the woman was speaking a different language, but it turns out that she was fluent in English, so she could talk to the main character. But uh, yeah, it's about two characters who can who don't know each other until the moment when their their lives are in peril, and they're just trying to find a way to work together in order to escape a crazy situation. And so instead of aliens, they're dealing with zombies here. Mm-hmm. The one comic that I was thinking that I could recommend that sort of touches on similar concepts is there's an issue of New X-Men by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. Uh, You mentioned the Nuff Said era of comics that Marvel was coming out where they tried to do a bunch of comics where they don't use words in order to tell their story. And this was the the X-Men version of that where you had Jean Grey and Emma Frost go inside the mind of Cassandra Nova in order to, you know, figure uh I don't want to give away too much, but yeah, they they journey inside Cassandra Nova's mind uh in order to reveal things. And it's an entire story where you know, Grant Morrison is already a pretty out there writer. So if you give him the opportunity to experiment with the form of comics and to tell a story that doesn't use words, um, he will rise to that challenge. And that's exactly what he did. Mm. Uh, I don't have that issue on me, but I believe you found it, Drew. Um, yeah. Well, I don't remember if I have the single issue. I have it in a hardcover, but if if anyone's just looking to get that single issue, it's issue 121. Yeah. You got another recommendation? Another thing that I would recommend, I mentioned it earlier, but 
Fat Girl Year One, if you like Marcos Martin's art. It's like a long one of his longer form works. So if you just want to like luxuriate in his art, that's probably the one to do it. Because I'm not really sure. Like other than Barrier and uh, Private Eye and The Oath, I'm not really sure if there are any other stories where he did that many consecutive issues or consecutive pages. I mean, mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I feel like Batgirl Year One is something that uh, represents a longer piece of work from him. It's not anything that, well, I don't remember it having too much to say about society or things like that, but as far as superhero comics go, it's just a pretty fun, entertaining comic with great characterization, and his artwork definitely enhances everything. So it it is something that I would recommend as a good superhero comic and one of the better Batgirl comics. Yeah. I'd also recommend Age of Reptiles. I don't remember who that's by Age of Reptiles. I'll just go into it. But it's a comic series that literally just follows the the life of a bunch of different dinosaurs and it's completely it's a completely wordless comic it's something where you can read it just to enjoy the art but there's also a lot of storytelling that goes on between you know between the panels and um not between the gutters between the gutters (laughs) there's a lot of storytelling going on between the gutters so it's it's a good series it's it's the sort of thing where, again, it's deceptively simple, but I think there's quite a bit of, there's quite a bit to contemplate there. Mm. I looked up the creator of that series. His name is Ricardo Delgado. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another comic that's kind of along the same lines as Age of Reptiles is this manga called Gone. It's uh, another dinosaur story, uh, more of a comedic one. It's by a creator named Masashi Tanaka. And Gon is a little, he looks like a little T-Rex, and he just gets into adventures with other animals. And it's all wordless storytelling, so it's pretty fun. Pretty great depictions of nature and, and the natural world and outside stuff, animals. But uh, another thing that I would recommend, this is something that I I thought of while we were talking about the alien designs in Barrier. But if you like really weird alien designs and strange creatures and and imaginative stuff like that, stuff that's a little bit creepy and just non-conventional, check out this comic book series called The World Below by Paul Chadwick. Paul Chadwick is the guy who did Concrete. We did an episode on Concrete a few months ago. And The World Below was an eight-issue series that he did uh, in between Concrete stories. And it's basically kind of like a Challengers of the Unknown type of thing, where it's a group of adventurers who are exploring the hollow earth. And they come across all sorts of 
weird monsters and and creatures and stuff so it's pretty imaginative and if you like that kind of aesthetic then definitely check it out for for the artwork mm-hmm. what else you got albert that's pretty much it um i thought you were gonna talk about tower of babel oh <laughs> <laughs> sure let's go with that tower of babel by howard porter and mark wade it is uh a story within the jla it is about how raz al ghul ends up messing up the world and the justice league by messing up language (laughs) making it so that people can't communicate with each other so obviously it thematically fits with (laughs) a barrier (laughs) oh man i got one more recommendation and this is something i just thought of while we were talking earlier as well but it's a graphic novel i just read it earlier this year it's published by Fantagraphics. It's called Still Alive, Graphic Reportage from Australia's Immigration Detention System. And it's by a cartoonist named Safdar Ahmed. And the reason I picked this is because I think it's something that really works as a comic that helps build empathy and understanding to people, often people that we don't necessarily think about. So this is a, a nonfiction comic and the creator, the cartoonist Ahmed, he was a volunteer and a visitor, a regular visitor at the uh, Villawood Immigration Detention Center in Sydney, Australia. So he would go there and uh, meet with and spend time with and practice art and drawing with many of the of the detainees there. So he spent a lot of time, you know, just talking to people and sharing their stories and in fact, a lot of those detainees' stories and even actual reproductions of their artwork and their little comics are included in the book. So it's like a mix of memoir, journalism, and reporting, but also a lot of human interest. But I, I think the thing that made it pretty eye-opening is that it's a repudiation of Australia's policies regarding refugees. But I also think that a lot of those ideas apply to other first world countries too. And it gets pretty heavy as Ahmed shares stories of several of the refugee friends he made. So it's real eye-opening stuff. But I, I do think that those are the kinds of stories that humanize people. And you know they, they humanize people that the media and politicians often want to dehumanize. Because like we were saying earlier, refugees are running from something. And it turns out a lot of the refugee camps that they're stuck in tend to be even worse than actual prisons. And even these refugees are stripped of their dignity and, and even tortured. So it's it's very infuriating to read, uncomfortable. But I do think it's an important comic and it's worth anyone's time and deserves attention it's something that i think will necessary yeah it's necessary i think it will help foster more empathy and understanding with other people so it's worth seeking out 
Still Alive by Safdar Ahmed. Nice, nice. All right. Sounds like we got some good stuff there. This was a really good conversation tonight. Yeah. Good work. All right. Well, if anyone has anything they'd like to contribute, you can feel free to hit us up at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or you can uh, DM us on our Instagram. We can we'll definitely talk to you there. We're at between the gutters. You can X at us or thread <laughs> at us or whatever. Make up words. You can flink chat us or snarf at us. Whatever, man. We're just making things up. <laughs> uh, yes. Do all the good podcast things. Share, like, and subscribe. Yes. We are. We're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. In our next episode, we will be reading and discussing another DC comic. We'll be talking about Far Sector by N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell. So tune in, and we hope to have you there. Peace out, everybody. <laughs>